0: Good evening, good to see you here tonight, especially our guests here to see the baptism. We're glad to have you with us tonight. Take your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 17. In this message we are coming to the end of part one of our study of the channel markers that God has given us to help us steer our way through life without shipwrecking our lives like Channel markers uh, for a boat. God has given us channel markers, spiritual channel markers, to help us guide our way through life. The first set of those guidelines that he gives us is in the Old Testament and it is the Ten Commandments. We will begin next Sunday to look at the second part of those channel markers, the New Testament channel markers, which are the Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5. Tonight we look at the joy of contentment. What we're talking about is coveting. What do we know about coveting? Well, first of all, it's an anonymous sin. The Tenth Commandment, in a certain sense, sums up all of the rest of the commandments. Yet, in fact, it is different from the others. Coveting is a secret sin and often causes the breaking of the other five commandments concerning our relationship with other people. Coveting is the sin that, if, that you can be sitting in church this afternoon and be guilty of, and no one is the wiser. Second thing is it is an accepted sin. I heard of a Sunday school teacher who was teaching on the story of the rich man and Lazarus found in Luke chapter 19. She told the class how the rich man went to hell and Lazarus went to heaven. And then she asked her students which man that they would like to be, the rich man or Lazarus. One little boy raised his hand and he said, I'd like to be like the rich man while I'm alive and I'd like to be Lazarus when I die. Well, that pretty well sums up how most people are. It is also an attitude sin. The other commandments are Concerned with visible acts. The 10th commandment is concerned with inward desires. The truth is that dealing with our desires is a much more difficult job, more difficult challenge than dealing with our actions. It's easier not to murder someone than it is not to hate someone. It's easier not to commit adultery than it is not to lust. It's easier not to say an evil word than it is not to think an evil word. God knows this, and that's why he gives us these commandments. And We can have victory, but we have to know what we're up against. It is also a sin of a lack of appreciation. Coveting is the sin of discontent. In spite of what we are being told about, the dire state of the economy under which we live, the truth is this. No generation of Americans have ever had what we have. We are well fed, we are well clothed to the point of wastefulness. We probably throw away more food than many people in the world have to eat. We do that with salad at our house. We buy it, put it in the refrigerator, let it go bad, throw it out. Better than eating it, but, you know, that's just my thoughts. First of all, no generation of Americans has ever had what we had. Secondly, no generation of Americans has been so technologically advanced or had so many creature comforts that we have. No generation of Americans has enjoyed our privileges. As Joy Davidman wrote in 1952, Joy Davidman was C.S. Lewis's wife. She wrote, we fret about muggers on our city streets, juvenile delinquents, corrupt politicians. But to our ancestors, dangerous streets were merely the normal hazards of life. That's true. We are, in fact, safe to the point of softness. We live longer and healthier lives than ever before. If having more could make you happy then we ought to be the happiest people in the world. But we're not. One indispensable condition is lacking. We are not satisfied. We are driven by the if-onlys in life. I would be satisfied if I only had, and you fill in the blank, to just such a people... God gave the 10th and last commandment recorded in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. So tonight, for a few moments, I'd like for us to look at four things about discontent. First of all, I want us to look at the definition of discontent. The Hebrew word that is translated covet can be used in either a positive or a negative sense. In its positive sense, the word simply means a strong desire. It can also mean delight, dear, precious, desirable. But used in the negative sense, the world means a strong desire for something I have no right to have. Coveting occurs either when I desire something I have no right to have, my neighbor's possessions, or when my desire becomes the controlling passion of my life, so that I begin to believe that my happiness depends on the acquisition of that item itself. God says that I can't want and get for myself anything that makes another person lose in the process. If I look at your house or at your car and I say, I wish I had your, I wish I had a house or a car like that, that's not coveting. However, if I say, I wish I had your house or your car, thus depriving you of those things, I have broken that commandment. My mom used to have a saying, and you know my mom had a lot of sayings. She was joking, I think, but you never could tell with mom. She said, I wish I had that, and he had a nod on his head. I'm pretty sure that's coveting. When I want what you have, and you don't have it anymore. Now, let me give you an example of how this can work. You've probably found there are times in your life when you want something almost to the point of distraction. Here's how it usually works. Suppose it's a desire for a new car. First, you think about how much you could really use a new car. Then you stop, and you look at, and you long for cars every chance you get. Then you begin to rationalize ways that you could afford to buy a new car. Before long, the desire is haunting you to the place where it is easier to give in and get what you want than it is to continue to fight the desire. You bought into the desire that another car will make your life so much better. Over the long term, things can't make life better. Only God can. But the truth is that discontent doubts God's wisdom, it doubts God's goodness, it doubts God's justice, it doubts God's timing, and most of all, it doubts God's love. Discontent for a Christian ultimately is dissatisfaction with God's provision. When we are discontent and we want what someone else has, we are saying to God, I deserve better. I deserve a better job, a more understanding spouse, a nicer house, a better car. God, you have not been fair with me. God, you owe me something better. From the definition of discontent, we move secondly to the symptoms of discontent. You and I have to realize that every commercial Every advertisement, every catalog that we receive is designed to create discontent in you. Those who design the advertising that we see and hear and read seek to encourage discontentment as a strategy to sell their products. Their job is to create a desire in you for their product. If they can get you dissatisfied with what you have, then they stand a better chance of selling you what they have. Whether you really need it or not is immaterial. Unfortunately, they are far too successful. We live in a society literally flooded with goods and gadgets. And because of that, we need to at least ponder the lives of those who live with less. Every missionary that returns home from the field marvels at how many choices there are in the supermarket. A typical supermarket in the United States in 1976 stocked 9,000 articles. Today it carries 30,000 articles. How many of you do you think are absolutely essential? The breakfast cereal aisle is a good example. Today, the average cereal aisle in the supermarket has over 250 varieties of cereal, all of which contain sugar. If we recognize that advertising aims to spread discontent, then we are more able to stand up against that onslaught. We need to counteract the allure of advertising with the truth. We need to tell ourselves the truth over and over again. For example, so this commercial is telling me that if I buy this BMW, now you can substitute Mercedes or Lexus or whatever the car of your choice is. If I buy this car, I'm going to be the envy of all my friends. If I drive this BMW, I will be popular. If I drive this BMW, I will have more fun than I can ever imagine. But the truth is what they don't tell you. If I buy this BMW, I'm probably not going to be able to buy buy gas for it. If I buy this BMW, I may have to work two jobs to pay for it. And then I will only have time to drive it back and forth to work. If I buy this BMW, I'm going to have to park on the far side of the parking lot at Walmart because I don't want anybody to scratch my new BMW. Is that not the truth? Here are some symptoms of discontent. You complain about your circumstances, your income, your possessions, about what you do not have. You have a preoccupation with obtaining stuff. You find that you are scheming to find a way to get the stuff that you want. When our worldly pursuits keep us from serving God. When your passion is for material rather than spiritual. When we are more concerned to provide materially for our children than we are to provide spiritually. When we are stingy to those in need. When I am prepared to borrow myself into bondage. When God gets my leftovers rather than my first fruits. We may call that chasing the American dream. God calls it coveting. Third is the consequences of discontent. First of all, discontent robs us of the joy of the present. In our desire for something else, we miss enjoying what we have. I read a great story, and I've told you this story before, but it's such a great story about this particular issue. It seems that there was a rich businessman who was in Mexico on a holiday, and as he sat on the beach, he was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting there lazily beside his boat. He says, why aren't you out fishing? He says, because I've caught enough fish for today. Why don't you catch more fish than you need and you could sell the rest? He says, why would I do that? You could earn enough money to buy a better boat so that you could go deeper and catch more fish. And then with the profits that you make, you you could purchase nylon nets and catch even more fish making even more money. Soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like I am. Fisherman, still reclining by his boat, said, then what would I do? He said, you could sit down and enjoy life. The fisherman said, what do you think I'm doing now? He has a point. Discontent leads to other sins. The first sin, recorded in the Bible, is coveting. The second is disobedience. Adam and Eve desired to possess the knowledge that belonged to God alone. And the Bible is full of examples of how coveting led to other sins. Achan coveted the garments that he saw after the battle. And it led to theft and disobedience. Joshua chapter 7. King David coveted another man's wife. And it led to adultery and murder. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And Ananias' coveting led him to lie to the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5. Judas's coveting led him to betray the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It also affects our relationship with others. I like the story that's told about Abraham Lincoln and his sons. He said, one day in Springfield, Illinois, neighbors heard loud noises in front of his house. He went to the door and he saw Abraham Lincoln walking past with his two sons, both of them crying loudly. The neighbor called out, what's the matter? Lincoln replied, their problem is, what is just the matter with the whole world? I have three walnuts, and each boy wants two. You don't understand that until you get grandchildren, and then you understand that. They don't like to share, and they don't want things to be even. We as humans have an innate ability to be selfish. We want what we want, and we do not want anyone else to have it. Perhaps this is illustrated by one of Aesop's fables. In the fable, a man dreamed that he could have anything he wished with the understanding that whatever he wished for his neighbor would get double. He wished for a fine home, and he received it, but his neighbor got two fine homes. That didn't sit well. He wished for a horse. And he received it. But his neighbor got two horses. And he didn't like it. And so eaten up with envy, he made his final wish. He wanted to be blinded in one eye. His neighbor got double. That's envy for you. That's what we're talking about. I think we can agree that discontent is a dangerous thing. But what can we do about it? The antidote for discontent. So what's the answer? Well, it's not the answer to denounce desire. That's what the Buddhist does. He says, well, we're going to just get away from any kind of desire. But rather, the Christian is encouraged to desire the right thing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, "But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, don't misunderstand this. This is not health and wealth, prosperity. He's not saying if you you seek the kingdom of God, that that God is going to make you prosperous at all times. He's going to make you healthy at all times. He's saying get your heart right, and all those other things will fall in place. The Apostle Paul's advice is found in his letter to the Colossians when he wrote, Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. The Christian is not to set his affection on things on this earthly plane. Jesus advised in Matthew chapter 6, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Everything here on earth moves toward decay. The 10th commandment does not tell us how to stop coveting. It was not until Christ came that we were shown how to be content. Perhaps nothing Jesus said contradicted our consumer-driven culture more than when he warned in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, take heed and beware of covetous. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Jesus warned against coveting because he knew it would only destroy character and happiness. Covetous will always lead to sin. Contentment will always lead to obedience. Contentment is the key to fulfillment and security. Paul gives a picture of this contentment, of his own contentment, in his letter to the church at Philippi when he wrote not that I speak in regard of need for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content notice he said that contentment was a learned process we learn how to be content he says I know how to be abased I know how to abound Every, everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to be abound and to suffer need like Paul, the contented person, recognizes that God has given them not only everything that they need, but he has, in fact, given them more than they deserve. Look at what God has already given you. He has given you life. He has given you the air that you breathe. He has given you food to eat. He has given you a place to live. He has given you health. He has blessed you with forgiveness and salvation and the promise of eternal life. So the choice is ours. We choose to be content or we choose to be discontent. We choose to be happy or we choose to be dissatisfied. I wish I could give you just five easy steps by which you can come to contentment, but I can't. It will be a struggle for us all of our lives to remain satisfied With what God has given us. But there are some things that we can do, and I want to give those to you now. First of all, make it a point to notice the things that you have. Instead of always noticing what you don't have, take a moment and notice what you do have. What if we stopped asking God for something additional until we have thanked Him for the blessings that we currently enjoy? We need to work at being genuinely happy for those who have more than you rather than resentful. Let them share their joy with you and listen enthusiastically. Avoid impulse buying. Oh, that's what they like for us to do. Advertisers appeal to our baser desires with offers saying, just charge it, instant credit no down payment, deferred payments, no interest for three months. We just need to take the time to determine whether we really need something and whether or not our resources may not be able to be invested in that way. Don't measure yourself by what others have. Different people have different needs. What may be a necessity for someone else may be an unnecessary extravagance for you, and work at becoming aware of how often you say you need something. And every time you find yourself using the word need, learn to ask the question, do I really need this? I have discovered that most of the world gets by without the things that we as Americans consider absolute necessities our needs are probably not as great as our desires until you travel to a third world country and you finally realize everybody in the world doesn't have what americans have everybody in the world doesn't have electricity much less air conditioning everybody in the world doesn't have the luxuries that you have that you consider a necessity i consider air conditioning, a necessity, don't you? That goes out, I I don't know what to do. It's hot. And most of the world doesn't have that. What we have are luxuries, not necessities. If after hearing the teachings of the Ten Commandments, you are convicted by how far you are from the standards of a holy God, good. Because that's what what the Ten Commandments are supposed to do. That's exactly what God desired with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were never given as a way to save a person. The Ten Commandments were to show a man how far he was from God's standards and how much he needed a Savior. The Old Testament saint was saved by faith in a future sacrifice for his sin. And in the New Testament... An individual is saved by faith in a past sacrifice for his sin. But salvation in the Old Testament and salvation in the New Testament are the same. By faith through grace. No one ever was saved because they earned it or because they kept the law. The genius of the Ten Commandments is not that God gave them. The genius of these channel markers is that when we take them seriously and we follow them, something surprising happens to us. We find ourselves living life in the presence of God because they exist to reveal God to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for each one that's here tonight. I appreciate their faithfulness, and I pray that... uh, As we turn this time over to you, that if there's one here that needs to make a decision for you, or if there's one here that realizes that they've never truly been saved, then I pray that they'd understand tonight that salvation is available, that Jesus has already done everything necessary for them to be saved. He went to the cross and he paid for their sins, all of their sins, past sins, present sins, future sins. But it is a free gift, and it is a gift one must receive. God, we recognize that you don't pressure anybody, but you invite everyone. And so tonight, Lord, if there's one who needs to receive that, I pray that you give them knowledge that they need to move forward. They need to repent of their sins. They need to pray and ask Jesus to forgive them their sins and to become their Savior. For those of us who are saved, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be more faithful in carrying out our duties. That we would look at those channel markers that you've given us in the Old Testament as we look forward to those channel markers in the New Testament to help us guide our lives and to keep us from shipwreck from destroying ourselves, going astray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.